So I trust that as we're digging into the book of Colossians, that there is spiritual nourishment for for our spirits, for our souls to, to feast on so that we can become mature, healthy, solid Christians who are stable in these shaky times that we're in and we're going to face. Last week, we focused on Christ being supreme, Christ being first, Christ being uh, the supreme creator and sustainer of all things. I said last week that you're, you're able to sit up right there in that pew and have life because Christ is holding you up. He is the, the sustainer of your life. He's the giver and the sustainer of, of our lives. He's also the redeemer uh, and savior of all who believe in him. We talked about last week how the book of Colossians helps give us a biblical Christ-centered worldview. And that's something that each of us need, especially as we're trying to make sense of all this brokenness that we see going on in this world. I don't know if you've watched the news this week, but uh, there's been several disturbing things happening. This week, last week, last week in, in our own city in Dallas, there was a shooting where, where police officers were killed. I, I do want to say this. I'm so pleased to see the church rising up and see the city of Dallas rising up in support of our officers the church coming together to pray, boundaries being crossed, and people, Christians specifically, but not only Christians, but people rising up to support and stand with our governing authorities and to pray for them. That's a beautiful thing. We, we're going to have many more opportunities as the church to rise up and shine. And now's a great time to do that. But, but also this, this past week, we've had, uh, there's, there was an uprising in the, in the military in Turkey. I don't even understand what's going on there, but that's kind of a disturbing thing. I know a couple hundred people were killed and, and many were wounded. Three police officers killed, three injured in Baton Rouge today. France, wow, 77 people. And it's disturbing and it should be disturbing. It should grieve us. We should mourn with those who mourn. We should break over the condition of the world that we live in because we know deep inside of us that it's not supposed to be like this. People aren't supposed to kill each other who are made in the image of God. People aren't to, to, to hold, oppress and hold others down in injustice in any way or, or, or lie to one another or cheat against one another. People are commanded by God and designed by God to love one another. In this world, we, we have failed to do that. And so we talked about last week how there's three, three C's that help us have a framework, a biblical framework of kind of understanding the, this world and, and, and all that's, uh, that's in it. But we talked about Christ being the creator. We talked about him being a good creator. God is good. When he made everything, he made it good. And so when we look at the brokenness of this world, we can't say, God, you didn't make this world good. It was mankind that rebelled against God, rejected God, rejected his ways, and we brought in suffering. We brought in sin. We brought in death. We have caused the damage to this good world that God created. And yet his goodness is still seen throughout this world. There's still many marks of his goodness seen throughout this world. Amen? And so we have a good creator, and God did something about the brokenness of our world. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ came to the cross for us. He entered in our broken world, and He suffered in our place. He bore our sins. 
He did something about our brokenness. It doesn't stop there. The Gospel doesn't stop there. Christ also is coming back. And He's going to restore all things to Himself, as we talked about in Colossians 1, verse 20. He's going to restore all things to Himself. He's going to make, as, as the Apostle John writes in Revelation, He's going to make all things new. He's going to wipe every tear from our eye. There's going to be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. And the, the verses go on, no more dying there, we're going to see the King. No more crying there, we're going to see the King. And that is our hope, Christian. Our hope is that we're going to see Jesus. We're going to see Him come in his, the fullness of His glory and power and His king, kingdom. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's not going to be broken anymore. It's all going to change. And so this biblical worldview, this perspective helps us fit in the idea of suffering and this brokenness. Like, how do we make sense of all this? I mean, I, I got to admit, there, there are things that happen in this world, pain and suffering, that I don't, I don't completely understand. I don't, I don't completely get it. But I know that the, the Scripture offers us comfort and encouragement. And it, and it tells us that it's not going to be like this forever. And that Jesus suffered and can sympathize with us. He can sympathize for us. He was tempted as we are yet without sin. And so I'm off preaching another sermon here this morning from Colossians chapter 1. But I wanted to start off with that. We are going to talk about suffering tonight. That's a big point of the passage of verse 24. Um, the Apostle Paul suffered much uh, for, for the name of Jesus, for the sake of the church, that the, that the gospel would advance. Um, but we're going to dig into that. I just, I just want to encourage us to have that framework deep inside of us that we believe that there's a good creator and, and that it's not his fault that all this stuff is, is, is broken, that, that we see what we're seeing. He, he has done something about it. And he will do something about it. And we, we are the body of Christ. We're here on this broken planet to be salt and light, making a difference, changing things with the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, living in us and through us to change this world around us. We possess the hope. We possess the gospel, the good news and the power of the Holy Spirit, God's presence with us. And so things can change through our prayers and through the proclamation of the gospel. So let's pray and we're going to dig into Colossians chapter 1, 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And oh, how we need that light in this dark day. Oh, how we need to see what's around us and see what's before us and see in front of us the steps that we are to take with you so that we may not stumble and fall. We thank you that you uphold us, that you strengthen us, that you lead us, you guide us, you shield us, you protect us, you bring us through the storm, God, and you grip us with your grace and you're not letting go. 
And tonight, I pray that You would strengthen the hearts of Your people. I pray that You would fill our hearts with Your love and Your compassion. That You would fill us with wisdom and knowledge and understanding that we would see things like You do, God. And that we would be reminded of all that we have in Christ. And that we would believe and live like Christ is enough. That we would believe and and, and live like Christ is the answer, the hope for this world. And we, we have that. We possess You living in us. Your presence. And so come speak to us tonight and use me through my weakness. God, I need You. Help me to handle Your Word well. To edify Your people. To bring glory to Your name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screen there. Paul says that, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, that in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of His body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, and that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. The mystery hidden from ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them, God has chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know, chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen my face, and seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Powerful words here. So here's the big idea. This is where we're going from the text tonight. This is what we're going to focus on, and then we're going to apply it to to our lives here. Paul's ministry was a stewardship given to him by God for the sake of others. It involves suffering and struggles in which he had to endure to fulfill his mission of making the Word of God known to the Gentiles. So Paul's ministry was given to him as a stewardship from God for the sake of others, for the good of others, for the glory of God and the good of others. And it involved suffering and struggles. It involved opposition that he had to endure to get the Word of God out. He had to go to prison. He had to go to jail. He had to be beaten. He had to be afflicted in in various ways so that the Word can go forth to everyone. Everyone he could reach. And specifically, he was bringing the Gospel to the Gentiles. Paul brought the Gospel to the Gentiles. Probably some of the afflictions that he faced could have been minimized if he, if he hadn't been trying to bring it to the Gentiles. Okay, But the, a lot of the Jewish people 
didn't get that concept and didn't like that concept. And it caused a lot of friction with Paul and the Apostle Paul and, and other Jewish believers. So this is where we're going. So last week we talked about Christ being supreme, Christ being first, Christ being preeminent. This week we're talking about I am third. Specifically the Apostle Paul here. The way, the language that he uses in here, he's already said Christ is first. Christ is over everything. It's all about Christ. In Philippians he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's all about Jesus. It's clear that the Apostle Paul put Jesus first in his life. If you want to see a life that had Christ first, look at the Apostle Paul. That's why I love him so much. Somebody asked me recently, Who, who's your favorite saint? I said, the Apostle Paul is, is my favorite saint. And why? Well, several reasons. One, you know, he's just a beautiful example of the grace of God, of somebody's life who, who had been saved out of darkness. Who, who was, he was a former terrorist. This guy was killing Christians. He was persecuting Christians. And Jesus knocks him off of his horse. He gets radically saved. And he becomes one of the greatest missionaries in the first century. I mean, it's beautiful. I love how God just takes what the enemy means for evil and he turns it around for good. So Paul, who is causing affliction on the church, who is persecuting the church, and Jesus says, Paul, Saul, you're persecuting me. And, and, and knocks him off of his horse, gets radically saved. Now Paul is risking his life, preaching the gospel, bring it, bringing it to others, even to the Gentiles, suffering being afflicted, going through hardship to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. I love how God can take what the enemy means for evil and, and turn it around for good. But, but Paul had some suffering to endure. And actually Jesus told him uh, that he was going to have to have that at the very beginning of his walk. Uh, the Lord says, and I think actually this is speaking to Ananias, who says Jesus sends Ananias to go pray for Paul. Okay? How would you like to be that guy? You know, hey, go pray for this terrorist, right? Uh, who's been killing Christians. Anybody want to sign up for that? But the Lord said to, to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So from the very beginning, Paul had a whole lot of suffering ahead of him and he knew it. He was aware of it. The Holy Spirit confirmed it. Christ had already said it and declared it. He was going to have to suffer for the gospel's sake. In verse 24, he starts off here saying, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of His body. That is the church. So Christ was all about bringing glory to Jesus. And He was all about doing good and bringing edification to the church and to others. He wanted to see other people be saved. So we see here three, three things specifically we're going to look at is Paul's suffering, Paul's stewardship, and Paul's struggle. Um, this was the same Paul who in Acts 20, verse 23 and 24, he says, The Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what the Apostle Paul was about. He didn't consider his own life as dear to himself. He considered himself third. 
Okay, not even second. <laughs> I'm not trying to downplay I am second, and that's a great ministry, and, and I love the phrase. But I think if, if Paul was to, to, to coin it, he'd probably say, I'm third. You know, Jesus first, and then others, and then, and then me, right? Uh, those of you who, who are parents, you know, you kind of have to learn that concept, you know. Uh, you get married, and then all of a sudden you realize, okay, you're not first anymore. And then you have kids, and you realize, okay, you're not first anymore, you're third, and actually even fourth, you know. You know, God, you know, your wife, or your husband, then your children, and the list goes on. But the Apostle Paul is, is just a beautiful example of somebody who put Christ first, who was living with Christ first. When I think about this, and I, and I think about how Paul ran towards opposition, he, he, to, to bring the gospel, he went in the face of adversity, knowing that afflictions and suffering awaited him. And he says in 24, he rejoices in it. Like, how, how, do, why do you, how and why would you rejoice in suffering? What's... You know, when, when the apostles in, in Acts 5, they get, they get beaten, you know, get their backs lashed and they're bleeding and they, they get released from jail. They're, they go away rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. Like, what, what's up with that? What, where do they get their joy and their rejoicing from? It's this relationship with Christ. They, they treasure Jesus more than anything this world has to offer. And we've seen the world change because of these guys, but... Uh, here's here's a, there's a similarity uh, just with the police officers. Okay, when last Thursday, Thursday before last, when Micah Xavier was shooting at police officers, everybody was running, right? All the civilians were. I mean, that's what that's the stories I heard. I, I would do the same too, especially if I had my kids with me. You know, duck, run. Okay, I don't blame them. But police officers have a job to do. They have a responsibility. And police officers were running towards the shooting to protect civilians. You see, they're required to put others before themselves and to risk their lives in the line of duty. And you see, the Apostle Paul was like that. And we're to be the same. We're to have that mindset that we're, we're going we're gonna to follow Jesus we're going to take up our cross and follow him. David Garland, a commentator, theologian, uh, wrote um, this commenting on, on this section here. He says, we live best when we put the purposes of God and the needs of others first, even if it means that it brings danger and distress to our lives. We live best then. There's a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. We're really living for something greater than ourselves. When we're putting the purposes of God, the kingdom of God, and the needs of others first. Suffering and affliction should be expected by every Christian. If Christ was rejected and suffered, we too must walk the path of bearing our cross. And we shouldn't be discouraged as we embrace it. Verse 24 has something on the surface that needs to be addressed. I, I think if, if you're like me and you read that, um, there's an issue that needs to be addressed there. What does Paul mean that he's suffering for the sake of the Colossians, for the sake of the body? And then what does he mean that he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction? As if Christ's sacrifice was lacking. Would, would anybody dare to say that? No? Okay. If Paul was saying that, he would be contradicting other things that he's already said and is saying in this epistle. Christ is enough. 
Christ is sufficient. Christ is supreme. When He went to the cross and died on the cross, He said, it is finished. So when, when He's talking about Christ's afflictions here, Christ's suffering here, I, I think we need to make it clear that He's not saying, He's not saying, uh, referring to Christ's suffering for our atonement, for our sins, so that we can be saved. He was in no way implying that because of his suffering that, that he could reconcile people to God because he's now suffering for people. Only Jesus, the sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God, can take away the sins of the world. And he did. He did. And it's finished. That work is done. Okay? So, but we still have a problem here. What does he mean by this? What does he mean by um, filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body? Well, some folks think that um, there's a certain amount, theologians, some would say that there's a certain amount of suffering that had to be filled up or completed until Christ comes back. Something similar to that idea can be found in Revelation 6, 11. Others, other commentators would say that Paul took the hit for the Colossians, if you will, um, in some sense that helped minimize their affliction. So he took it so that they wouldn't have to experience that I do like what David Garland mentions in, in his commentary. He says that Paul's express goal is not to complete a quota of suffering, but to make the word of God fully known. To make the word of God, as it says in verse 25, that he was filling up what is lacking in, in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship, uh, which was given to me. For you to make the word of God fully known. Uh, so I, I like that answer. I don't know that I completely get it here. I don't, don't know that I completely understand. That's kind of a difficult phrase. And I think the, the theologians wrestle with that. Uh, but we know, what, we know what it's not saying. We do know that it's not saying that Christ's sacrifice was not enough. Okay? We know that's clear. His sacrifice was enough. And we know that Christians are going to suffer are called to follow that same path that Christ followed, the same path that Paul followed. Paul wrote in his last letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, 2 Timothy, if anyone desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, he will suffer persecution. There's a nice Bible verse to put on your refrigerator. If anyone desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, he will suffer persecution. The modern church, I think, misses this so much. Especially in, in the West. I mean, we, and, and we haven't experienced as much opposition as, as other parts of the world. But this is a part of Christianity. It has been from, from the beginning. That Christians would suffer. That Jesus said, if they, the world hates you, know that it hated me first. You know, a servant's not greater than his master. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they talk bad about you falsely and, 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 and you know, say stuff about you falsely, they're going to do the same to you. So we can expect that, and we should. I know that's not very encouraging and not the most, you know, pleasant thing to hear right now. But church, I want you to be prepared for the days that are ahead. I want you to be solid and rooted and to know Christ intimately and be rooted in Him and that when the opposition comes and the storms come, you stand strong and, and you don't have this uh, utopia idea of seeing life 
through rose-colored glasses that, that you're never going to suffer or have hard times in life because it happens even to the best of people. It happened to the sinless Son of God. So don't be surprised when it happens to you. Now, we can suffer in this world, in this broken, fallen world, just by being alive, being a human, right? Okay? You don't have to be a Christian to have to suffer and go through sickness and, and, and painful things in this world. You know, or we can suffer because of our um, sinful choices and selfish choices and bring damage to ourselves and, and pain to ourselves, cause much pain to us and, and those that we love. Or if we're going to suffer, we can suffer for Christ's sake and for the sake of others. That's the way to do it. That's, that's what uh, David Garland here says is uh, living the best. We live the best when we put the purposes of God and the needs of others first, even if it means that it brings danger and distress to our lives. One other thing here. In Acts 9, Paul encounters Jesus. I referenced this already. But when he encountered him, listen to this. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Okay, who is Je- who is Paul? Who is Y'all don't laugh at my, my little interpretation there. You, you can laugh. That's fine. Um, who did Jesus say he was persecuting, that Saul was persecuting? Him. Now, literally, though, who was, who was Paul having killed? Christians. So which is it? Was it, is it Christians or is it Jesus? Yes. Okay, good answer. Yes. Yes. Christians are the body of Christ. They're, they're connected to Jesus. We're, our, we died with Christ. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. Flip, or Colossians chapter 3, next chapter. So there's this close identification between the suffering that Christians experience and Christ's suffering. So I think that's something to kind of take into consideration as we consider this statement in verse 24. And even just how, how God sees the suffering of His people. I mean, the Psalms tell us that uh, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of His saints. Like it's a precious thing to God. God values your life, Christian. He values His children dearly. And He's gonna, He sees and catches every tear. And He's going to wipe every tear from our eye. And none of it's going to go wasted. So we also see Paul's stewardship here. In verse 25, he says, Paul says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make fully known the word of God. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we we proclaim. Paul had this stewardship from God. He He was a minister... Uh, which, which some translations say servant, same thing. He was a servant. He called himself a servant, okay? He was a minister of the gospel. And, and guess what, church? We're all called to be ministers of the gospel. Okay, and it's not just the, the, the person with the pastor title or position, but every Christian in the body of Christ is called to be a minister. And leaders in the church, pastors and evangelists and teachers and so on, they're called to equip the saints for what? Ephesians 4.12. For the work of the ministry. 
Every Christian is called to do ministry and has a ministry, has giftings and experience and, 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 and ways that they can contribute to the body of Christ and to the lost world around them. Now, that's, of course, not the point of the text, but I, I, I don't want you to disconnect in your mind. If you, if you don't have the position of a pastor or a minister that's not on your card, that you don't dismiss yourself as not being a minister, Okay, because if you're a Christian, you're a minister and you should see your life and the gifts that you have and the opportunities that you have as a stewardship from God. All of life is a is a stewardship, a trust. You've been entrusted with many opportunities and gifts in this life. And what's required of a steward, a servant and a steward? What's required of a steward? First Corinthians four two, Paul says, uh, let us. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Stewards and servants need to be found faithful, doing what they've been called to do, fulfilling what, they, they've been ex- what the expectations are, are for them. And when Jesus comes back, I don't know about you, well, I'm sure you guys want to, but I, I want to hear those words out of his lips. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want to look him in the eyes and not be ashamed and not shrink back, but have confidence before him and see his face and hear his voice and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I know you want that, Christian. Saints, beloved children of God, you want to hear those words from your Lord. And that's what the Apostle Paul lived for. He was running the race set before him. He was fixing his eyes on Jesus. He was trying to be a faithful steward of the mysteries of God. He was entrusted with the gospel. And he was to bring it to, to, the, um, to the Gentiles. Now, if you notice in this passage, it keep, he keeps using the word mystery. He'll use the word knowledge. He'll use the word wisdom. And this is important because some of the, the issues that, that arise, and we'll look at it next week in chapter 2, was with these Jewish mystics, uh, was there was this idea that they had this special knowledge that you had to follow them to get it. You've got to follow them. Hey, we've got this special knowledge for you, just, and we'll tell you about it. It's something more than Christ. You know, Christ is enough. Paul argues that in, in Christ are hidden all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. He's enough. If you want knowledge and wisdom, get it in Christ. Because when you know Christ, the, the, the door is unlocked for you to grasp truth, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And Christ is the ultimate revelation, the ultimate mystery revealed. And it's not just for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles. Notice that Paul in verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, not just Jews, everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, three times, mature in Christ, everyone. The Gospels for all peoples, not just one group of people, not not just a class of people. Okay? Not just the rich or just the poor, or, or not just the, the black or the white or Asian or Middle Eastern or European. The Gospels for everyone, and we, if we're going to be faithful stewards, 
then we need to bring the gospel to everyone. We need to share the gospel faithfully to everyone we encounter. Well, I think we would do well if we would just share the gospel with those that we run into at the gas station, at the grocery store, at the mall, at the park. Um, you know, if you're at the park, moms and dads, you know, those of you young children, playing and, and your kids are interacting with other kids and that the family that they're interacting with is a non-Christian family, what would it look like in that moment for you to be a faithful steward of the gospel? Faithful steward of what God's been entrusted with you. I, I think it would look like pressing past any uncomfortable uh, fear or anxiety about how you're going to come across and, and trying in some way to share the gospel with them, right? I love, I'm so delighted in my children. Um, they see dad handing out gospel tracts all the time. And so this is kind of a, a new thing for, for Carson and Karis. They, um, they'll ask, like when they meet folks at the park, they'll start asking for a tract to give to give folks. <laughs> and so I told Kendall, I'm like, we need to get some kids' tracts in their hands because they're giving them like the adult kind, you know, to, to, the, to the kids. Like, you know, life, death is certain or whatever, you know. Like <laughs> life is short, death is, you know, certain or whatever, you know, something like that. We need to get some, you know, little kids' tracks handed that they can hand out. But let's train our kids like that. Let's, let's, let's model that for them. And let's train our kids to do the same. To just think, start with a simple conversation, talking to non-Christians about Jesus. Going to our neighbors. Uh, we had awesome time this past Thursday. We went door to door in some apartments close by here, proclaiming Jesus, engaging in conversations with folks, praying with some folks, and just had some really neat divine appointments. And then yesterday, I uh, went to Towny Small with David Recordrace, and we just had some awesome divine appointments. I took my, my big Evangi cube. And, you know, so we had it like, like we had been shopping and bought it there, you know, walking around with it. And we would engage in conversations, handing out some tracts. And there was one guy that tried to sell us um, some perfume or some, well, first perfume and then cologne. And, and he just like did his whole, whole deal and, and he did a good job. And, and then I said, okay, let me, let me share mine with you now. And so I, I busted out the magic cube and shared the gospel with them. And man, it just, him and his, his coworker, they were just listening, they were watching and all of a sudden, he just began to tear up, and he, and, and he kind of pulled me to the side or, or walked over to the side, and I, I went over there, and, and he said, man, I, I've been praying that God would reveal himself to me. I've been praying that God would reveal himself to me, and he said, man, I, I want to get saved. I, I need to get saved. And just what an encouraging moment right there in the mall. I'm praying with this guy. You know, divine appointment right there before my eyes. I could have just kept on going or could have said, no, I don't want any. I don't need any cologne. I have a bottle at home, and I don't use it. Uh, you know, I could have just kept on, and, and, and I didn't. You know, we took some time, and, and there were several other little conversations. We were able to share the gospel with this, this young uh, Hindu girl from India who, who worked at one of the little kiosks there. And, and it was just neat to see people receptive, especially right now, with the things that are going on in the world. Hearts tend to be open in moments like these. I love preaching at funerals, proclaiming Jesus, warning and teaching with all wisdom at funerals because people's hearts tend to be more open when they're thinking about death and life and eternity and what matters most. And in these times, these opportunities that we have, we need to be faithful stewards to seize these times and engage folks. We have answers. We have hope. We have, we have a message that changes people's lives. Let's be faithful stewards 
of the mysteries of God that we've been given. And what's that mystery? What does Paul say the mystery is? Christ. Christ in you. The hope of glory. In, in Ephesians chapter 3, he says a part of that mystery is, is that the Gentiles get the gospel too. So here he's saying Christ in you. These are Gentile Christians made up of Jew and Gentile, probably the Colossian church. Christ in you. Christ. The Gentiles getting Christ too. This beautiful mystery being unveiled. And, and the, this, the idea is something that God has made known through Christ, that, that Paul was preaching, that he was revealing, and it, he was unveiling his purpose in human history, you know, at a specific time. So him we proclaim, warning and teaching everyone that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says this, this now we're going to look at Paul's struggle and finish up here, that for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I love this. So Paul gave, he exerted himself. He gave his effort. He, he strained. He agonized. He, he worked hard. He labored. He physically labored with his hands, he even said in other places. He worked. He was a hard worker. But he worked hard to see people come to Christ too. And, and check this out. Paul never even... Paul never even met these guys. <laughs> Paul never even met these guys. Now, Epaphras, Paul's spiritual son, who he led to, to Jesus in Ephesus, led these guys to the Lord. So these are like, these are like spiritual grandchildren to him. All right? He, he hadn't even met them. But he, he was struggling for them. And, and he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea, for all who have not even seen my face, that their hearts, and here's the purpose of it, here's the point, this is where he was going with his struggle, that their hearts would be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. I want the church to be, in other words, solid, stable, as he says in, in Ephesians 4, not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but rooted and grounded in Christ, that Christ is enough, Christ is our rock, Christ is our Savior, Christ is sufficient, Christ will sustain us. Verse 28, what's he toiling and struggling for? Back to 28, that, that he may present people, everyone, Mature in Christ. And a part of his struggling and his, his, his wrestling and struggling was proclaiming Jesus. Warning people. Teaching people. He's writing this letter. He's concerned for this church being led astray by false teachers and false doctrines. And so he's struggling about this. You know, maybe like a, maybe like a grandparent you know, uh, would for their grandchildren and, and, and the concern that a grandparent might have for their grandchildren and, and, and talking to their parents. Uh, praying. A part of that struggle for Paul was also uh, was, was praying. Listen to this. Epaphras. So the same Greek word in verse 29 um, for struggle is the same word that Paul used in verse chapter 4, verse 12. Referring to Epaphras in his prayer for the Colossians. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. So that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Do you see that? 
A part of that struggle for Epaphras, and, and I believe Paul as well, was praying for. There's this, this, this pressing through in prayer. Jesus experienced this in his intercession for the church. Going to the cross, we see Jesus wrestling and pressing through in prayer and intercession for us. As he's feeling pressure on his soul, he's thinking about other people. We, we know that Paul at least prayed this for these guys, and he says he, he, he does it all the time for them. You know, he was in jail, so he probably had a lot of time to do that, you know. And from, he says in verse, chapter 1, verse 9, this was his prayer. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why is that important? Because there were these other Jewish mystic and these false teachers uh, trying to draw them away into their, their true knowledge, their special knowledge that they needed to, to get from them. And he says, I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you walk worthy of the Lord in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So what was the aim of Paul's struggle for the Colossians? Maturity in Christ. He wanted to see them grow up into maturity. I mean, parents, you, you know, you can identify with this, right? <laughs> You know, you, you want to see, those of you with toddlers, little, bit, little you know, infants, you want, you want to see them potty trained, right? Moms, you want to see, just, I can't wait till he or she just starts using the toilet on their own. No more diapers. And then, and then I can't wait till they start, start dressing themselves and putting their shoes on themselves. I can't wait till they start feeding themselves and, 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 uh, being able to cook for themselves and be able to provide for themselves and be able to have a family of their own, right? So parents, we, we aim to raise up our children. We struggle in prayer for them, right? We struggle to teach them through, through the attitudes and the failures and the conflicts and, and the things that happen in life, making sense of this broken world like we've seen over the past week or two. We struggle with these things that we're confronted with with our children because we want our children to grow up in the all that God has created them to be. Parents can identify with this. Paul likened his ministry, likened his struggles to be those of parenting. <laughs> Listen to this, Galatians 4. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Here's the Apostle Paul, tough guy. I mean, it sounds like he's talking about giving birth. Like, okay, we got we got one mother here who's in just a few weeks. She's going to be in anguish. <laughs> Two weeks in anguish of childbirth until that baby comes forth, right? Paul describes like he he wanted to see Christ form the maturity and, and the, the reflection of Christ in the lives of the church. First uh, Thessalonians, he said, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we're ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, and we work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel. Uh, verse 11, he says, For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul, you know, he called Timothy like a, a spiritual son. He, he cared for... Um, he cared for the church like a dad. 
cares, like a good dad cares for his children. And that's what discipleship's about. That's what discipleship's about. And, and that's, as I said earlier, you know, when you become a parent, you're not first anymore. When you get married, you're not first anymore. Okay? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Lay down your life for your wife. Okay? It's not about you anymore. Okay? And then you get kids, and then it's not about you anymore. Your time is not your own. Your life is not your own. <laughs> the question I want to ask you guys, four questions here in closing. Have you suffered anything for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others? Have you suffered anything for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others? Have you struggled to evangelize and disciple others until they are mature in Christ? Have you given energy to see people reach their potential and and who God has created them to be in Christ? Mature, solid, stable. And then they're doing the same. And what a joy that is. Are you being faith, a faithful steward of the ministry that God has given you? Are you stewarding well what God's entrusted you with? And is the preeminence of Christ seen in your life by the way that you put Jesus first and invest your time and energy? 